from Ecclesiastes 12. This is uh, verses 9 to 14, the very end of the book, the conclusion of the matter. This is the word of the Lord. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, let's pray. Lord, you are our shepherd, um, the one true shepherd. And so, God, us now, uh, as we consider uh, these final words uh, from the author of Ecclesiastes to us, um, Lord, we desperately um, don't just need to be smart, uh, but we need to have you, who is wisdom, um, walk near with us, uh, that we would walk in the way of wisdom. And so walk with us this morning uh, through your holy scripture. Uh, we love you. Uh, it's very, very clear that you love us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Have a seat. Have any of you done the, uh, the face app thing? I've noticed that only guys are posting their pictures. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> the passage we just read, um, we didn't read the first uh, eight verses of Ecclesiastes 12, but um, the passage that we just read uh, is a man who uh, is in many ways uh, at the age of his face app, right? Uh, he... What, we don't know exactly how old he is here, but he is speaking as one who's gotten to the end of his life, and he literally kind of has one foot in the grave. He even talks in those first eight verses of this chapter about uh, his eternal home, and he's, he's kind of one foot in the grave looking back, and he's saying something really, really important. He's saying, these are the last words that I want you to know, um, and there's a power in last words, right? Like you've heard, I've probably said this before, that last words are lasting words. And he's saying, at the conclusion of all of this, um, this is what I want you to know. That the way of wisdom uh, is, is incredibly fruitful, but it's, it's a painful journey. It's a difficult journey. Wisdom is often hard-earned, and it's often why few people have it. The road to wisdom is not easy, but, but son... Uh, student, uh, as a teacher, as a father to a son, I'm telling you, uh, it's worth it. Wisdom is a painful journey. So is folly, he, fi he figures out in his, in his ex experimentation. But wisdom is worth it. And so the three things I want us to consider as we kind of wrap up this time in the wisdom literature, the first one is this. Um, he goes back to the beginning at the end, okay? So you can write down back to the beginning, which is fear God and keep his commands. He says there that that's the whole 
duty of mankind, or it's the whole of mankind. It's what it means to be human, is to fear God and obey His commands. So back to the beginning. And the second thing we'll talk about is goads and nails from the one true shepherd. What in the world is he talking about when he says goads and nails? Did any of you bring your goad this morning? Um, And then the third thing, uh, hopefully this will be incredibly practical, um, the way of the wise. He gives us some things in describing himself that I think are, they're definitely descriptions. I don't know if I'd call them prescriptions, but they're descriptions of, of his own journey. And I think we can, like looking at somebody's experience, say, hey, I think I want to learn from that, okay? So back to the beginning, goads and nails from one true shepherd, and then the way of the wise. Back to the beginning. He says there, at the end, we're going to kind of preach through this backwards, right? Bottom to the top of the, of the passage. Now all has been here, heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of all mankind. Everything's been heard. All the conversations have been had. All the classes have been taken. All the experiments have been lived out. And I've come to this conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. And all of his searching, and all of his thinking, and all of the examination of all the various areas of his life that we've talked about, we've talked about through Proverbs, we looked at some in Job. The author, that, that phrase, fear God, fear the Lord, and, and keep his commands, should, should ring in our heads at this point, because This is something he said again and again and again. It's his refrain throughout the book. And it's the refrain throughout the wisdom literature. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom. Psalms, Job, Proverbs all say that. In fact, they go on to not just say it's the beginning of wisdom. They say that it is wisdom. It's the whole of what it means for us to be human beings under God in life under the sun. And it, should, it, it shouldn't surprise us, but it, it should stop and we should mark this moment and say, this man who denied himself nothing his eyes desired and who had all, all the wisdom, all the, the monetary capacity, all the uh, influence and power that he has, he's still saying the same thing at the end. Fear him, fear the Lord, and keep his commandments. I just have to say something. I said this in the first sermon, I think, about fearing the Lord. Because when you hear that word, you may think immediately of being afraid, like in terror of God. But that's not what he's saying when he's saying, I want you to be terrified of the Lord or of his wrath. You know, Romans says that, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm not in terror of God or of his wrath. Rather, to fear the Lord is a statement, remember of his position and priority that he has in our lives, right? That's what it means to fear the Lord. The Lord has this position. He has this priority. Our love, our hope, our, the importance, the role that he plays in our lives. That's what it means to fear the Lord. He's in the pole position. He's first. That's why it says, you know, when Jesus sums up the law of the prophets, he says, first, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's what he's saying. He's saying, fear the Lord. Love him. Let his love for you wreck your life in a beautiful way and shape everything that you do. Fear the Lord. We talked about this in the first sermon. 
Maybe this will help us connect this idea if you're still struggling with the idea of what does it mean to fear the Lord. That oftentimes when we take the things that we're afraid of or that we fear and we pull those things up by their roots, what we find oftentimes is is that our hope is connected to what we're afraid of, right? Hope is at the root of all of our fears. Hope and fear are often two sides of the same coin. Psalm 33, 18 says it like this, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His unfailing love. You see what he's doing there? How he's connecting those two things, fear and hope? If the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord and fearing Him is hoping in His unfailing love, then the beginning of wisdom is hoping in His unfailing love. That's what it means to fear the Lord. I'm I'm pushing all my chips in, all of my hope on His unfailing love. I'm fearing Him, and therefore I'm trusting and walking in the confidence of His unfailing love for me. Isn't that a beautiful picture of fear of the Lord? That's not a, ah, it's a, whoa, I love you. Are you confident in my love for you? Would you live under the weight of my love for you? And therefore, when you do that, when you fear me and you know my love for you, then I can actually keep and walk in your commands because I understand that your commands are not these heavy, burdensome things to me. They're actually for my good and for my best. You've given these things to me because you love me not for me to keep so that you will love me, right? So he takes them right back to the beginning at the end. And it's important for us. I I think it's important in a what's next culture, right? What's the new thing? What's the new theory? What's the, and he's saying, I've searched it all out. Go back to the start. Go back to the beginning. Go back to God's love for you. He even goes so far to say this. He says, be warned, my son, in adding anything to the words that are given by the one good shepherd. Verse 12. Be warned. It's a warning. Right? It's like beeping when you're backing up. Warning. Be careful what you add to his words. Be careful what you add to the truth of his love for you. The fear of the Lord is letting His words to us and His words for us be the voice, be the final word in our lives. His words ordering our affections. His words being the lens that we see our entire life under the sun, as the author of Ecclesiastes says it. He says, I want you to look at your life through those lenses, through the fear of the Lord, because there is a life after life under the sun. Be careful not to add to these words. And he also goes on to say that that wisdom and that those words, they aren't merely thinking correctly about things, but it's tied to our activity, right? I want you to keep his commands. I want you to obey. My hope has been for us, for those of you who have been with us on this journey this summer, Remember where I kind of said it's wisdom school this summer? My hope is, is that you've actually truly wrestled with what does it mean to fear the Lord in all of these different areas of my life that we've talked about. The Lord's inviting me to walk in wisdom in these areas of my life and live differently because of my relationship, my fear of Him. 
But at the conclusion, he says, we've got to go back to the start. To have his words and his grace and his love order my heart's affections and my priorities, change my heart's attitudes, and therefore change my actions. Right? It's a great opportunity for us to even, I'm, I'm inviting you to do this, some of this this week. Examine your hearts and say, if this summer, because <laughs> we have talked about some incredibly practical things like money and the use of our tongues and sex and everything else, right? If it hasn't gotten practical for us, then in many ways we're, we're still just voyeurs in this way of wisdom. We're window shoppers, Right? You, you put it in your Amazon cart, but you, ha, you, know, you saved it for later, right? And he's saying, no, I want you to walk in this way right now. Because Jesus says this in John 15, you know a tree and where it is rooted by the fruit that it produces, right? I want you to fear the Lord. That's a heart posture and, and keep his commands. That's fruit in our lives, Jesus says the very same thing in John 15. You're going to know a tree and where it's rooted by the actual fruit that you see produced on it. And he knows something really, really important. But it's only in remaining in him, in relationship to him who is wisdom. Remember, wisdom isn't just knowing something. It's knowing him. Christ is wisdom for us from God, which is folly to the world, right? Right? The cross is folly to the world. The cross is the way up is down, <laughs> right? It's better to serve than to be served. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's foolishness to the world, but it's the wisdom of God to us through Christ. He says, when we remain in him in relationship to him who is wisdom, it bears much fruit in our lives. It's the only way we can. He says, apart from me, you can't. You can't bear this fruit. But in that passage in John 15, he refers to the Father as a gardener. And he says that the gardener does something really, really important. He says, my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does branch, branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He prunes it, those branches that are already clean, that are already in him, so that it may be more fruitful. The author of Ecclesiastes is painting that very same metaphor, I believe, here in this image of goads and nails from one true shepherd. He's saying that the shepherd, he's referring to the Lord as a shepherd here, not a gardener, and his words are the tools, the goads and the nails by which he shapes and prunes our life. And that the way of wisdom, when we fear the Lord and we keep his commands, it's going to involve pruning. <laughs> it's going to involve goading. It's going to involve nailing. These are the ways that the shepherd or the gardener actually leads us 
progressively more into what does it mean to actually fear the Lord, to have him first in our lives, and therefore we walk in the way of the Lord and obey and keep his commands. So the first thing at the very end is we've got to go back to the beginning. My hope is, is that some of you, I know this because I've said this before too, it's kind of like, man, I feel like I'm just back at the start <laughs> all the time, you know? Some of the fruit that God actually bears in our lives, this, this is actually spiritual fruit that means you're becoming more mature and growing in the Lord. Sometimes that fruit looks like you actually become more selfless and you give your life away more freely like the Lord does. That's the, that's the, the cool fruit, right? It's like, yeah, okay, I see that fruit. Some of the fruit that he births in us is the fruit of repentance, which means I become more aware of my sin and quicker to repent of my sin, which oftentimes we would say, oh, that almost feels like I'm getting worse, right? I'm seeing more and more of my sin, and he's saying, no. I actually, you know, Luther said all of life is repentance. I actually am bearing fruit in your life through your recognition of your sin and your ability to actually speak that out and say, man, look at the places that I'm weak and that I need the Lord and that I fail. And he's saying, yes. That's what it looks like to fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom is repentance. Right? So you're not back to the start. Every day, that's why he says my mercies are new every morning. Every day is a new start. Lord, okay, I'm coming back. Underneath you, I'm going to fear the Lord because I know that that is the beginning of wisdom. And Lord, you now can lead me, garden me, shepherd me into a different place. What does it mean to keep your commands? So let's talk about these goads and nails from the one true shepherd. Because verse 11 has haunted me. As long as I've read Ecclesiastes, it's been a, a verse that was written on the walls of my office at one point. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails. Some sweet metaphors in here, right? Given by one shepherd, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. So remember, he starts off saying, I'm wise. The teacher was wise, and I imparted knowledge to all the people. But he's saying that the wisdom that he's come to and the wisdom that he's imparting to others, the wisdom that he is sharing, the words of the wise, they have a single source. One shepherd. It's interesting because there's nowhere else in this book does he refer to the Lord. He's saying, I want you to fear the Lord, right? He's saying, I want you to fear him as a shepherd. I want you to see him this way. And that his, his wisdom, the Lord's wisdom, is something that is given to us through his shepherding of us. And this ongoing relationship of the shepherd to the sheep, which I understand, I mean, chickens are cool, right? Urban chickens. Are people raising those? How many, any of you in here have chickens? No chickens. Oh, we have a couple chicken people in the back. I know you have chickens. Any urban sheep raisers? Raisers? Is that even a word? That's not a word, is it? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. I mean, that, that metaphor is pretty lost on us unless you grew up in like a farming community, right? 
But this would have been a vivid and rich metaphor for the day. Wisdom given by one shepherd. And how does this one shepherd who imparts wisdom into our lives, how does he do it? What are the tools of his trade? And he uses these two metaphors, goads and nails, right? But what he's saying here, before I I unpack a little bit of goads and nails, what he's saying here is this. You're always being shepherded by someone's words and by some shepherd. Every single day. And the question is whose? He's saying, I'm a, I'm a teacher, and the words of my wives, they have a single source, and it's from this one shepherd. And I want you to be shepherded in this way by these words. But you're always being shepherded by some word from some shepherd. And the question is, whose? The one true shepherd, the Lord? Ourselves? I mean, sometimes my own words are what shepherds me. Which in this metaphor, he's basically saying, you're a sheep trying to lead yourself. It's not a good. And Jesus also warned often about false shepherds. So you're always being shepherded by some words from some shepherd. And the question is who? We said, son, student, I want you to be shepherded by the words of the wise that come from this one true shepherd. And here are the tools of his trade the words as goads and nails. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails. Now, a goad, again, no one has their goad with them this morning, correct? A goad was a rod or a pole that was about eight feet long, and it would have been armed at one end with like a piece of iron, like a spade almost, that you would use to free um, the plowshare and the feet of the sheep and things like that from the clods. And at the smaller end, it was a spike that was actually used to urge on either the oxen or the sheep, right? So it's like a poker as well as something that cleans. Cleans off and prods in a direction. Those are the two things that a goat did. Cleaned and it prodded. So how does the one true shepherd goad, or how do you actually think about this firmly embedded nails? Have you ever been, (laughs) I've found myself at times on a ladder trying to actually nail something in, and you know, you're just kind of reaching for it. You can't nail something, and you can't goad something unless you're close. Right? Saying something not just about the tools, but it's saying something that the words of the shepherd as goads and nails, he's saying the shepherd has to be close to you in order to goad you, in order to drive the nails. He has to be near the sheep because you can't goad and you can't nail from a distance. And he's saying something about the words. And I'm saying something to you about the word of the Lord this morning, which is this. His word brings him near and his word functions like a goad and a nail it cleans us it prods us it drives us it nails itself into us 
And just like a shepherd uses that goad very closely to the sheep, the shepherd is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you, sheep, in and through these words. It may seem really subtle, but it's very important. The words of the shepherd and the ongoing presence of the shepherd are absolutely inextricably connected. The presence of the shepherd actually comes through the words of the shepherd. That's why it says in Hebrews this, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You hear it? My word gets in you. It divides soul and spirits, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's why he says in John 14 that I've given you the Holy Spirit so that I can remind and reveal everything that I have said to you. The words of the shepherd and the ongoing presence of the shepherd are happening and connected through his word. And he's saying wisdom's final conclusion is that. That the Lord, he is with you. And he's with you as a shepherd and you as his sheep. And he's with you as a shepherd to you as his sheep through his goading word. Which if you're following all of that logic, that makes the word of the Lord absolutely vital to us if we're going to grow in wisdom. It makes it absolutely vital to us if we're going to experience the presence of the Lord, not just know about the Lord. Remember, he says, my sheep, they know my voice. I can't know the shepherd's voice if I don't know the shepherd's voice in the word. If I don't know the word, then I I should be really, really hesitant saying, the Lord led me or the Lord told me. (laughs) Are you sure? How would you know his voice? Because the presence of the shepherd and the word of the shepherd are, are one and the same. They work together. The Lord is with us, and he's with us, present with us through his goading word. Why? Well, he wouldn't have called him shepherd if he didn't see us as sheep, which means I just insulted all of you, including myself, right? Because sheep aren't naturally wise. I don't know if you've ever spent some time around sheep. I actually, I got to drive a herd of sheep with a shepherd up onto a mountain in Ireland one time with the youth group. It was chaos, but uh, a bunch of teenage kids. But sheep are, they're, they're, they're humble, they're fearful, they're skittish, they're jumpy. Um, they don't like to be shepherded naturally. And they're not bright. They're, they're humble animals who need a shepherd. And the Lord understands this, and he's saying, if you're going to fear me, if you're going to walk in my commands, you need me to be with you, and you need, to be with, you need me to be with you through my goading word because you can't lead yourself. 
You can't become wise on your own. You need me, my word and you need my presence. That's why David in Psalm 23, what I read in the call to worship, he says what? That your rod and your staff, the shepherd's rod and thy staff, they comfort me. If you've ever seen a shepherd use a rod and a staff, I mean, it's not like a back scratcher, you know? <laughs> like, it's a prod. It's something that you, you knock the sheep with in order to move them, right, and to give them direction. Why would David say, that actually comforts me? It's powerful. Because he's saying this, that in all things, as the sheep that I am, even in my self-inflicted valleys through my own sin, you are with me in that way with your goad, with your rod, with your staff. And that's a comfort to me because in all of my rebellion, in all of my ignorance, in all of my arrogance, in all of my wandering, in all of my fear and all of my shame, you will never leave me. You won't let me go because I'm your sheep. Even if you're astray, I'll leave the 99 and come after you, right? <laughs> you come after me when I do, and you do that at great personal cost to yourself because that's the kind of shepherd you are. Your rod and your staff, they're a comfort to me because they're in your hand, because they're yours, and I know you. I need him to be my shepherd, and I need his word to goad me because I'm not wise, and I also need those because I forget the heart of the shepherd. The hand that's on the rod, the hand that's in the staff. That he's a good shepherd who lays down his life, John 10 says, for the sheep. I was watching something. Uh, Anderson Cooper uh, interviewed Stephen Colbert this week. Did any of y'all see that? If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's powerful. Um, both of those men lost their fathers at an early age, and their lives have been marked by that experience of death. And uh, they're having a conversation about grief and death and loss and suffering. And um, I'll just say this. My opinion is, is that uh, Stephen Colbert, because of his relationship with the one shepherd, uh, has wisdom that in many ways Anderson Cooper is window shopping on. He's kind of looking through the window and he's kind of marveling at what Stephen's saying and he kind of wants to know it. Um, but Colbert, if you go watch it, he's speaking from a place of deep personal conviction. He's still, even in his grief. And he's even talking about the joy and meaning that come to us, Colbert is, through difficulty and suffering and loss and he says something to Anderson Cooper, um, he says this, in my tradition, which is, he's a believer, that's the great gift of the sacrifice of Christ, that God does it too, that you're not really alone, that God does it too, that he suffers, that he took on flesh, that he who by and for through whom all things were created became a sheep, 
right? Colbert might as well have been quoting Isaiah 53. He says, surely he took our pain and bore our sufferings. This is your shepherd. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And how did he do that? He was oppressed and afflicted. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Unlike a sheep before its shears was silent, and he didn't open his mouth. And yet, after it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and the Lord made his life as an offering for sin, he will see his offspring, that's us, prolonged for many days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. The Lord does it too. His goading word... Not only reminds me that I'm a sheep and that I need him as my shepherd, that I'm a humble, needy creature, but it also reminds me about the heart of the shepherd who became a sheep, who became the beloved Lamb of God to lay down his life for us. And so, wisdom's conclusion to us go back to the beginning, fear the Lord. And what he's saying by saying that these these words are goads and nails. He's saying wisdom's conclusion is this, stay a sheep. You want to be wise? Stay a sheep. You don't talk about folly to the world, right? <laughs> stay a sheep of the one true shepherd. If I'm honest, I hate that. There's a part of me that my flesh says, ah, really, that's the answer? It's got to be more complicated than that. He's saying stay a sheep, which requires humility, which requires embracing my limitations. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the entire New Testament, uh, who was somebody who had a ton of reasons to be proud because um, there are a couple of different places in the New Testament where he talks about the revelations that God gave him. He has a ton, uh, probably had more revealed to him than any person you could argue in all of Scripture about God and his plans. And he says this about his conversion in Acts 26. I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? And this guy was the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? The zealot of zealots. He was the person who was an expert in the law. And he's blinded on the road. And he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, Saul, and I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Even Saul, the apostle Paul, he's saying, you're resisting my work. You're kicking against the goads. I'm doing something for you and in you and through you, and you can't stop it. And wisdom is going to be you absolutely yielding 
and fear the Lord to be in the sheep that you are. Because we have a good shepherd. So what words, let me just ask you this question, from what shepherd are your goads and your firmly embedded nails? Like some of us have had some bad shepherds in our days, right? You ever see the, you remember the end of Saving Private Ryan? You remember the thing that he said to him on the bridge? What? Earn this, right? Do you remember when he's in the cemetery at the very end, he's, he's knelt before it and he says, at the grave, I've thought of what you have said every single day of my life. And I've spent my life trying to earn it in your eyes. What's he saying? He's saying, I, I was shepherded by those words and I spent my entire life being goaded by those words. Because the words of a shepherd are like goats. They drive us. And they drive us to some beautiful things. And sometimes if they're from a bad shepherd, they can drive us to some horrible things. And the gospel, let me just say this to you this morning. The gospel is not sitting to you on the bridge saying, earn this. That's not what Jesus is saying to you. He's saying to you, I earned it. And now, spend your life free of trying to earn my love, free of trying to earn my approval, and actually walking in the freedom, being goaded by that truth, being having that truth nailed into your life in such a way that you bear that fruit. Showing the world around you, this is what it looks like to live in the love, live in the approval, not earn the love and earn the approval of my Lord. That's good news. What words from what shepherd are your goats? Because if you're like me, I got, I got like my whole case of CDs, old CDs, things my parents said, things that my friends said, and I can play a lot of different words that goad me in a lot of different directions. And the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, no, 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 the words of the wise, they come from one place, one shepherd. Let those be your goats. Let those be the nails that are driven into your life like an old nail and a, a old rusty nail and a board that you can hardly pull up. I want to nail this truth into your life. Because those words, they birth our walk, right? Psalm 81, 13 says this, Oh, that my people would listen to me, words, that Israel would walk in my ways. Walk right? You are what you listen to. You become what you listen to. Whose words are the goads? Last thing, the way of the wise. Just a few things, real practical things. The very beginning, he says this, I'm the teacher. He's talking about himself in third person, so he might be tad arrogant. That was a joke. <laughs> Not only was the teacher me, wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people, and he pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. 
The teacher searched out to find just the right words of what he wrote upright and true. Three things that I, I just write these down and, and think about these things this week. He says, I, I, I have gotten to this place of saying that wisdom is given by one shepherd. And how did I get there? He pondered, he searched out, he set in order, and he imparted. Just write those words down. Pondered and searched out, set in order, and imparts. A couple words about those. Pondered and searched out. The idea here is, because remember, he's, he's the wisest in all of Israel. The idea here is, is I, I have a lifestyle of continuing to ponder these things and search these things out. I don't arrive. There's no like, now I'm wise. No, my whole life is built around mulling these things over. It's like Mary, when she said about the angel, he revealed these things that were true to me and I pondered those things. I turned them over in my heart again and again. You want to walk in the way of wisdom? You want to fear the Lord and keep his commands? You want his word to be with you and present with you and goad you into the truth? Then ponder and search it out. He's giving you the Holy Spirit to stir that in you. And then he says that he set in order many Proverbs. What he's saying there is he's saying that actually when I ponder and search out the truth, it begins to order my life differently. I set things in their place. Things that are secondary things, good things like money, they don't get out of place because I'm setting these things in order. And the first thing in order is this, I love the Lord. And I let him shepherd me. He's present with me. I don't even have to know what to do tomorrow because he'll be with me. I have him and therefore I have everything I have with him. So I ponder and I search it out. I set it in order. And then this last thing, I really want to challenge us and we're going to even make some announcements about this today. He says that he imparted knowledge to the people. Now he was a teacher, right? But I said to us in the Sermon on Words, we're all teachers because we're all talking all the time. You're teaching somebody constantly, even if it's just your children. And he's saying that part of my knowledge and my wisdom was me imparting that knowledge and wisdom. Let me say it like this. When you share where the Lord is present with you and how he's goading you and growing you and convicting you of your sin and challenging you, when you share that with others, when you speak it, when we gather together around that truth, it strengthens it in you by sharing it, not just other people. You become wise by sharing it, by speaking it, and so do others, is what he's saying. It's why things like small groups where we get together and we open up the word together and we share from our hearts where this is meeting my life. He's saying this is part of the way that God grows us in wisdom. I have to impart that knowledge. I have to open my mouth and speak it, and it strengthens it in me. It's why Christine Gilbert's going to give an announcement about maturing as a mom. It's why these moms get together and open up the word and share, Right? Because it actually imparts that knowledge to one another. It strengthens us in that. So we ponder it, we search it out, we set it in order, and then we talk about it. Okay? Let me pray for us. Lord, you are a shepherd. We shall not be in want. You make us lie down in green pastures. 
And oftentimes you have to goad us to get us there. And you goad us to lead us beside quiet waters so that you can restore our souls. And you guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you teach us that you love us as a good shepherd, what it means to fear you, to prioritize you, to keep you first, to walk in your ways, Lord, which is what we were created to do. Um, Lord, I pray that we'd ponder and search that out. I pray, Lord, that you'd begin to more fully order the affections and the desires of our heart and that you lead us in a way everlasting, Lord, and that we'd be a community that talks about it, uh, that we uh, freely share the fruit of how you're working in our lives with one another and the world around us. Thank you for your word uh, and for teaching us through it in your name. Amen.